While many of us are lighting our candles and making our wish boards, others simply know how to make their dreams come true. What's the secret? To know in our bones what we love and how we want to engage with it. I recently interviewed British pop star Craig David, and he shares his story about how he engaged with his passion, which is singing, bringing his love into the world through his voice, some of the journey of getting into his head and having to find his way back to the heart again. This is a story of true manifestation power. Let's go to my conversation with Craig. And here we are with Craig David right now. He's in New York on a PR tour for an amazing song we're going to talk about in a little bit. Welcome. It's so good to meet you. Regina, I am so happy to be finally connected because I've been watching you through the TV screen for a long time now. And the, the amount of inspiration and motivation that you've given me to finally actually, actually speak with you and connect is incredible. So. Oh, thank you so much. You know, every, like I said in the open here, um, you know, everyone admires someone who has just comes in with this amazing talent of some kind, and it's recognizable from an early age. And we're going to talk about the consequences of that as well as the blessing of that in a little bit. But first, let's start out with you when you were a little kid. I mean, how did your whole recognition of who you were and what you were here to do begin? Well, I grew up in a, a small city called Southampton in the UK. Um, and I predominantly grew up with my, with my mom and my grandma. My dad was, they, my mom and dad broke up when I was around eight years old. Um, but he still had a, a strong presence in my life as a father. Well, he'd always take me out on a Sunday and made me feel like, where are we going to this weekend? Um, but predominantly grew up with my grandma and my mom. Um, I always loved music. I always had a passion for, from since my mom played early Donny Osmond, um, <laughs> Puppy Love, all those kind of songs were playing in the background growing up. Then she was a huge fan of Terence Trent Darby, um, who had an amazing album called The Hard Line According To. And there was a great song called um, Sign Your Name Across My Heart, which was a huge record that he had. And that was the first concert I ever went to as a, as a child. And I watched him on stage and there was something that felt kind of familiar um, and I was singing at the time, but I, I didn't know it would actually be something that necessarily be on stage and perform. But when I saw him perform, I was like, this feels like something I could definitely do. And I feel like I've, I was gravitating towards it. And it was quite liberating watching him perform. And it started to unfold. I started to build confidence in myself as a, as a singer, even though I was still always thinking... I can't sing as good as Boys to Men or there's Michael Jackson. And I think that I was always kind of putting myself down, sort of saying, you're not quite that good. So it just needed a little bit of recognition all the way. So it started to build when I was from the time I was about 15, which was amazing. And I feel like it, all it took was one song in particular, which was a song called Rewind um, that I had with a, a DJ collective in Southampton called The Artful Dodger. Um, and when that song started to connect, it, it was something that when I took home, I was like, wow, this feels good to me. But when it started to connect with, with people, I knew something was starting to happen. Um, and then the journey started to begin from there, really. But you were just a kid when all of this happened. I mean, 
it wasn't rewind. I think I saw it was like 1999. You had to have been only 18 or 19 years old. Yeah. Right? And it so you were already starting to make it onto the charts at that age, or was it a little after that? Because that's so young to handle that kind of attention. I mean, it, it would have been, it's, it was like a, a very organic way in which Rewind got its way to being like signed as a, as a song and actually charting because in usually now I know as, as an artist having been signed to different labels and know how it works that you have a radio plugger who takes the song into radio and tries to get that song played. Whereas Rewind was just like naturally had people calling up saying, I've heard this song Rewind being played in the clubs. What, can you play this song on radio? And the DJs were like, well, we haven't playlisted this. We don't. And so it naturally found itself getting onto radio. And then I felt a shift from one minute being in my, I guess the projects that you'd say in, in, in America, um, with my mum and my grandma. And next thing it was like catapulted into being in London, performing on my favorite TV show, Top of the Pops, which is like... A big the, Yeah, and I was on there performing. I'm thinking, this is crazy. And, but didn't feel foreign to me. That's the, 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 the part of it that it felt familiar. I didn't feel like, oh, this is, what should I do now? It was like, I kind of felt like I was going in my stride and I felt almost like a bit like an alchemist. Everything I was touching was turning to gold. And I didn't have to overthink it. It was just so natural. So, yeah, it was amazing with Rewind. It's interesting because were there times in your youth where you had some kind of repetitive experience or vision of some kind that would have future-paced you into this as though the soul was already speaking through you, which obviously is that familiar feeling you had, like you were just taking your place where it should be? Yeah, there was definitely, as funny as the, the, the title of my first album was called Born to Do It. And my favorite movie growing up was Willy Wonka, or still is, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Um, and there's a moment where a kid runs into the candy shop and he asks the candy man, how does he do it? And the candy man says, my dear boy, do you ask a fish how it swims? And the boy says, no. He says, do you ask a bird how it flies? He says, no, no, you don't. He goes, no, you don't. My dear boy, they do it because they were born to do it. And I was like, wow, that feels, that feels right to me. And I, and I ended up calling the album that. But then also there was such a, a sort of another fine line that was sort of in that film of how Charlie had one got the golden ticket, but also he wanted to make sure his family were looked after and he had the opportunity to take the money um, from the competitor who was Mr. Slugworth, who was trying to sell chocolates, but he put the everlasting gobstopper back on Mr. Willy Wonka's desk and then he ended up winning everything. The chocolate factory and his family could move in. And it, was, it, was, it felt like that movie in particular had a very close affinity with me. So even though I look back and I was... As a kid, maybe I didn't know fully what it was that was driving me through. There was definitely an intuitive thing that through movies that I was watching and also for me telling my friends that I'm not going to come out tonight, I'm going to stay in and finish this song. And people wouldn't quite mm -hmm. understand 
what was driving me to stay in at that age when it would be easier just to go out with my friends. But when those songs became Fill Me In, Seven Days, Walking Away, which ended up being huge records on my first album, I didn't know what intuition was, but it was that what was driving me. Something was saying, stay indoors, and it was amazing. Okay, so what's interesting here is oftentimes we watch people in your world, you know, we observers will watch people in your world and we'll say, well, what is it that made that, how, why did that guy make it when the guy next to him didn't? And someone else can be talented, although you're extraordinarily talented. I mean, I do believe you were born to do this. Your voice has this lovely, slight vibrato, almost like an angel. Uh, quality good. It's just beautiful and clear. And let's say there's there are other other young men who have these lovely talents, but they don't. They're not necessarily, even though they think they might be destined to do this thing, they're not. What would yeah. you say is the difference between someone like yourself who has this as his destiny and someone else talented who would love to, but it's not working for them? More speaking on a soul level, from what you've learned and know now. Do you know what, Regina? It feels like, like you said, there's, there's many talented people, and I see many talented people around me, but it feels that either they, they haven't got the ability to take the, the time and actually focus in on what it is they're actually doing. It seems like they're just a little bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I think that, thankfully, at that young age, I was able to, like I said, I don't know why I was telling my friends that when I was a teenager that we're not going to go out and go and have fun and go partying all the time. And don't get me wrong, I did go out a couple of times with them. Do you know what I mean? But, but nine times out of ten, I, I knew in my heart that I needed to finish these songs. It just felt like I didn't want to leave them as start the song, go out, voice ends up kind of getting damaged by being out for a while. It takes two, mm-hmm. three days before I can get my voice back to then start the song again. Mm-hmm. Something was saying no. And I think that's probably... One of the things that a lot of artists, they are very talented, but they, they don't really want to take that step in saying, you know what, I might have to say no to some of the things that seem to be, quote unquote, living life and really enjoying it. Yeah. But actually, the bigger play is actually in these songs because I'm living beyond my wildest dreams through the songs that just meant I just needed to stay in and maybe not go out every night, you know? Right. So that full commitment. That's part yeah. of it. Your heart just knew it had to commit itself. Okay, well, you didn't miss partying in the long run, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. Life is... Okay. So life now is let's good. talk about what happened next. So now, now you're in the top 40. In fact, I think the stats are like you had 20 songs or so in the top 40 hits, and you were probably all the big deal. Hey, I have to ask you this because... I'm just, uh, I've spent a lot of time in Britain and just to get a little bit of British humor, a little bit of dry humor, intelligent humor. I'll listen to Steve Wright in the afternoon when I'm getting up in the morning and making tea. Did you go on all those shows and have interviews by all? All all of those shows, Gina. I mean, it was like (laughs) from one minute listening to these shows on on the radio or kind of watching TV shows and next thing being on the shows. And I think the kind of... The craziest thing is that even when I performed on Top of the Pops, which was the big TV show that yeah. I'd grown up listening to, uh, watching, sorry, all the music sh- uh, singles that were released and you wait for the chart. It was weird when I was on the show because then I started to see cables and 
bits of tape and things that I never thought that I would really, I was like, I never saw this when I was on TV. So my eyes started drifting off into these little bits that weren't exactly what TV always makes out is so lush and beautiful, but the experience was incredible. So, okay. How long was it from the time you started getting your confidence from you when you did rewind? Okay. Until you were really starting to live at large and let's talk about what that felt like. I've been in Southampton a number of times, and it's a modest city. I've gone there a lot yeah. of times for the jump-off point for the ferries to go over the Isle of Ride to meet with David mm. Icke, as a matter of fact. That's usually why I end up there. <laughs> anyway, so I have been through there a number of times. And so you, now you're growing up, you're in London, you're starting to live at large. How long did that transition take until you, your, your life kind of blew up, your career? Um. Well, there was quite a lot. I mean, from the age of, say, 18, so my first single was released in 1999, as you said, with Rewind. And then Fill Me In was the first solo single in 2000. So really, it was a quick succession that within the first year, it had gone from just kind of migrating up into London to then traveling the world and being in situations where I was meeting my idols growing up. I mean, I remember being at the House of Blues in, in LA and we did three nights there. And remember, I'm like, I'm 18 years old. I'm just like, wow, this is what I'm taking, I'm trying to take it all in. And the first night, someone I'd grown up watching was Missy Elliott and I lo- loved her music. And I was like, wow, Missy Elliott's here for one night. But then, then the second night I was there and it was Jennifer Lopez and Beyonce were there. And I was like, really? And then the third night, which really kind of, I couldn't quite believe, it was I was singing Walking Away and I looked into the crowd and, I, and the, the front of house lights were on and I saw a face singing the words back and I was like, that can't be. And I was kind of almost thrown off uh, my, my singing when I saw it. And I was like, it is. And I saw that Stevie Wonder was in the middle of the oh. crowd <laughs> singing the words of a song that I'd written back to me. Wow. And I was just in awe of the whole situation. And I, I think, not to sound like I'm just trying to, to drop names, but it's actually just to say that it went from these humble beginnings in Southampton and dreaming of these things to actually meeting these people and then them coming to my shows. And it was just very quick. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now, now things are changing. Uh, probably relationships were a little easier to access by this time, for one mm. thing, of all kinds. Well, Everything was easier to access. So at what point did you start noticing that, say, your friends, I don't know about your family, but your friends in particular start treating you a little differently? And I think that's a hard thing for people to handle. It's like, hey, guys, you know, yeah. thought we were, were buds, we're family. What happened? Um, I, I felt that when I came back to Southampton, and at firstly, I was trying to walk through the high street you know, pop into a couple of shops. This is the same place that I grew up where I used to hang out with my friends and on nights where we couldn't get into clubs, we'd just be hanging out outside the, the local, whatever it may be, and just con- congress in there. I remember walking through the high street and it was just very different. Like, amazingly, there's a lot of, uh, I was flattered by the attention that people were showing me. But I also noticed friends that were, within the mix of that, that were, had all, almost kind of, their perception of me has shifted, that they'd seen me on TV and now I wasn't 
the the Craig from from down the road who we grown up neighbors and 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 going to school with it turned into oh that's the Craig who's on TV now and I, and it started to have that persona that was being played out and that was weird for me to have to sh- to try and shift into a place where I was like well I I feel like I'm the same 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 guy but obviously things have changed and those people mm-hmm. but I guess that I I just was able to say okay well there's only a handful of people that really seem to have kind of just stayed exactly the same and that was how it was destined to be and I and some got a bit distant and some became, I grew a little closer to you know yeah I mean when I was a young girl, like 26 years old, okay, <clears throat> and went to NBC. And so by this time, people could turn in on Saturday or Sunday afternoon and they could watch me and doing my thing. And even yeah. then, I mean, I remember at that age, 26, 27, it struck me very deeply that I didn't, I didn't like that feeling of suddenly having the people around me go into an uncomfortable state of almost almost a kind of fear of some kind. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. It wasn't envy per se, but it was elevating you through their own insecurities into something different, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it felt very disassociative. I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a lot of friends at that point. It was just for me, just a brief period of time. I was married and otherwise pretty stable. So it didn't change my life dramatically. But that feeling of not feeling my friendships in the same way anymore was pretty devastating. Yeah, I, I, I feel you. It's, for me, it was, I think what was, I was trying to come to terms with was I tried to alleviate the, the situation of, of people kind of their perception of me by almost trying to split myself in two, um. which was now in, in hindsight, looking back was so not the thing to do because the authentic me was just like, you know what? This is, this is me. This, this is, this is how I am. This is how it's all kind of, it's played out. But instead I tried to play myself as one side was Craig from the local Craig from Southampton and the other Craig is the one who's having all the success. So I kind of created these, these alter egos as opposed to almost now where I'm just owning it, where it's just, I feel like I'm just authentic. There's not two of me. There's, I'm not splitting myself up. I know that I'm just a channel for music to flow through me and I'm not trying to please everybody. Whereas then I started to go into that place, which is, I think it was a kind of a dangerous place to go to when you start to do that because it's like you're not owning anything. It's like you're trying to say, I, I respect this, respect this success I'm having, but I don't want to fully embrace it and be like, yeah, this is where I'm at. So it was just like, where are you? That's mm-hmm. what I, one of the things that growing up, I think that was just being a little bit naive to it, you know? So now everything's starting to change. Um, you got women around you. Um, how did you handle all of that in life? I mean, who were you in terms of relationships with girls before, and what did you become after you started hitting the pop, top of the pops charts? Okay, so it went from being the I was I was one of those kids who who loved his food, loved to come home early and or come back from school, and while my mum was making my tea, I'd be eating the dessert out of the fridge before she even got to putting the food on the table. So when you do that for a period of time, 
start to get a little bit bigger and, and start to put, throw on a little bit of a weight. And well, I was that kind of chubby kind of kid at school, which I was fine. I completely own that. Um, but I definitely was the, the shoulder to cry on for the girl that I was interested in. Because it just seemed at that time that everyone wanted to be with the school captain of the football team, the guy with the six pack, the guy who's kind of was leading in some kind of fields within that school realm. And I was like, they come to me to tell me about, well, he doesn't like me and what should I do? And we'd have such a strong bond. And I'm thinking, why are we not connecting? I mean, it seems like on a soul level we're connecting, but from a, an aesthetic level, it, which, which is great now to kind of just deceive for what it is, is that people at that time, the girls I was meeting, they wanted the, the look. They were looking for that. And I think that when the music then kicked in and it was almost like a little bit like a kid at a candy shop, it's like, for me, it was like gone from that to one minute now, all of this interest from all the most beautiful girls and aesthetically, but the soul element seemed to have kind of shifted. So you got the, the look was fantastic, but the actual depth had been, had been lost. So the kind of the opposite, the paradox was sort of playing out in that, in that element. And so um, what about the rest of it? I mean, did you get involved in drugs and hook up with all the stuff that people generally, you know, find their way to if they had success really, really early and haven't learned to modulate it yet? Do you know what? Thankfully, I mean, the one thing from my, my mum and my dad, more so my dad, because my dad was very, uh, not so strict, but just I never wanted to really ever have to explain myself to him getting wow. in trouble or yeah. to get involved with drugs. I mean, just be like, wow, just to even think of that moment. And I think that actually I'm grateful for that because I never delved into that place. And also Excellent. when it came to even smoking, it was just like, I never, I think vocally, I just never went there because it just, every time I was in a room, I just felt like it was so heavy and the smoke would always like really mess my voice up. So I never went there either. So that, uh, drinking was one of the things, but never to the point where I was like, it was out of control. Yeah. And I think it was just all, it was all about music. I was just like, when can I get into the studio? When can I record? And the funniest thing is that Rise and Fall, having played that clip, is the middle eight of that song feels like where I was maybe two years ago when I started to refocus and realign myself back with music where it's like, give me one more chance. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. this is all I really want to do. Whereas the rest of the song was, because it wasn't, it wasn't the third person, Regina. That song, this talk about law of attraction, but the, it was in the third person. I spoke to my manager at the time and he said, you know, I think it would be more, uh, it would connect more if you put yourself in the first person in the song. So I, I was like, but burning all my bridges and put myself in compromising situations. I didn't feel that that was really me. But as soon as I did that and I sang that song, as much as it was a hit, it literally was playing out my, my life. It was like, almost like I owned it. It's like, okay, if you're going to sing this and it's going to be such a hit, well, this is going to be your life right now. And so it was, it was crazy. Okay. So you're really hearing your life story here. What, at what point did things culminate to where you were really at the apex? What did your life look at when you were at the apex and what happened that started the fall? Okay. Um, 
I felt it was when musically, when I, and a lot of, lot of artists will say this with their first albums, because it felt like the, the little Craig, which is what Belinda Womack was, would say to me, like little Craig, remember him? And I'm like, yeah, I know him. Uh, when I was just making music because I loved it and I wasn't overthinking it and I was just being creative, it all flowed. It just, it felt great creating and there was no expectation for the outcome. So when something magical happened, it was almost like a bit a bonus. And I think that once getting into the music business, I started to take in statistics and mm. chart positions. And I think the biggest thing was when the first album did like 7 million albums. I mean, 7 million people went out and, bought that album. I mean, that's just like mind blowing. And somehow when I released the second album, Slicker Than Your Average, which did 3.5 million albums. And I don't even like talking about numbers anymore because it doesn't even mean anything to me. But at that point, I was somehow under the illusion that that was, that, that was, I was on the demise. It was like, it, it was, that was something to be, oh man, how are we doing half the numbers this time around? Whereas 3.5 million people went out and bought, I mean, it blows my mind to even think, but somehow I got bought into that, that mentality. And I think that's where I was on the, the, the fall of the, of the rise and fall. So. so it was mostly at that point, did it become a matter of your confidence or belief in yourself? Do you know what it was? Is that I think there was a lot of um, cooks in the kitchen and a lot of opinions, whereas when I first started off, it was just like I knew what I was doing. I knew where I was going. I, like, I didn't need anyone for reference. It was just like, I've got this. And I think that when I started to look to other people for, their, for too much of their advice and the direction of my songs, I think at that point I became reactive as opposed to proactive when I was making songs. So everything I was doing was always like, oh, radio's playing that, let me try and do that, as opposed to when before I was on my own wave and everything was sort of, oh, you're doing your own thing over here, let's flow with you there. So I could tell in my heart that I was going that route, but I just, it was only when it really came to that crunch where I felt like musically I'm not being as creative as I used to be and I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to. And I think it's the enjoyment factor that, that really hit home when you you're not enjoying making music i mean that's never a great place to be you know no and you're still really very young at that time too so you kind of had it early but you started losing it and i totally get that isn't that true of everything that starts out as a creative endeavor it doesn't really matter what the modality is in life as soon as we start trying to assign numbers to it monetize it and so forth yeah. doesn't that seem to be the beginning of the end of a lot of wonderful endeavors Oh, 100% Regina. It's like I, I, and, but at the same time, I'm kind of, there's always a, a, a silver lining to every cloud. That's the beauty. If you, I realized having watched my career unfold in that way, that I was like, you know what? I see, I see now, like, if I can just get back to little Craig and get back to doing that, I'll be, I'll be okay. So I almost, it was necessary for me to go through that phase to get to a point where you're, you're left with a choice of, do you really want this? Do you really live for music? Is it like, 
is it just a hobby for you or you actually is that your life purpose and I knew it was it was in my heart so at that point I was like I need to I need to steer this in a different direction because it's definitely not going the right one so how, going long, how long were you in kind of a fallow period so here's the crazy thing on paper it looked fantastic it looked like well I I was going to Miami for pretty much since 2000. I, I went there to do a TV show uh, firstly, and then every new year after that, because I fell in love with the beauty of Miami and just the, the sun, the sea, the, the whole thing. So I was going every new year for two, two weeks, have a good time, come back. And then finally I found a place that I wanted to live in. And I was like, it was... Are you familiar in, familiar in LA with the Mondrian uh, Hotel? I don't know if you... Yes. You know the Mondrian, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they, so they, bought, they built one in uh, Miami. And I was like, wow, I love the Mondrian in LA. And I thought this would be incredible to actually have a home here. And the developer was very clever as well because I only went there to find a holiday home. But he said, oh, you don't want to go upstairs. You, this is in your budget. You stay... <laughs> Fine. I was like, okay, let's have a look upstairs then. So I went upstairs and I saw this home that the view was so priceless, Regina, that I was like, I was willing to just to sell my home in London and make the move. So when I made that move to Miami, which was a big decision because it was like literally like uprooting everything to go to Miami. On paper, it looked incredible. It looked like you've got the beautiful home in Miami. You bought the sports car that you've always wanted. And so it, it seemed like lifestyle-wise it was amazing, but there was almost like it didn't feel I, – I think I was looking for completion in that. And I, deep down I knew on a soul level that it didn't matter about what I had. It was the music is what I was yearning for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but let me get this straight. So your fall was buying a place – a penthouse in the Mandarin Hotel in Miami. That, that was your fall. That's the, the crazy thing about <laughs> it, it. It wasn't a, see, this is why it looks like, because musically I'd gone from being signed to uh, one label, then moving to another label and, and the songs were selling. It was all good. And then it got to a point where I, I had an album, which was called Sign Sealed Delivered. And it was a, a covers album. Mm -hmm. um, and as great as it was to record that album, I had an opportunity to be signed to Universal Records, which was a big label. And I thought this is possibly my opportunity to put out my own material. But what I found myself was that when I was creating this covers album, it was so far removed from the music I was making when I first started that I just thought, how have I ended up here? It's like if you... I don't know if you had a, a country artist who was just was so melodic and delicate and also all of a sudden it was like a heavy metal record and you were just like, wow, I mean, how did it get here? So for me, I knew I was kind of so far removed that musically I needed to go away. So the next best thing was, okay, let's spend time in Miami and, and enjoy that part of it. And I think that's where it, the, the fall was the music, but it, people couldn't really see that. Right. But I knew that I was, I was filling it with being in Miami, have the sports car, right. do that. Yeah. That makes sense because you weren't really 
you weren't living the soul's directive or desire at that part. You were living the lifestyle aspect of it. I was just teasing you about that part of the fall. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. No, 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 I totally get it. If your soul is not able to speak through you the way you want it to, that's a, that's a very painful place to be, especially after you've been listening to it for so many years, right? Yeah, 100%. And do you know what? The, the, the whole move to Miami, like there was, there was two elements but one in particular, there was one moment where I guess I had a real, my real epiphany was, was in Miami. So I'd, I, when I was growing up in Southampton as a kid, there was a, an arcade or computer um, game where it was like you, you went in, you put your pound coin, your, your, your dollars into this machine, and it was a racing car game. And it was a red Ferrari, and it was called, the, the game was called Outrun. And the girl had... Well, the guy had his arm around the girl and you, you, you driving through the palm trees in Miami. It was like, and I always thought to myself, how amazing would it be to be able to see one of those kind of cars in Southampton? And I thought, I'm never going to see a Ferrari like that. Fast forward to me being in Miami now. I've driven to uh, a lovely restaurant called Prime 112 there, just on Ocean Drive. And I took a girl there with me and I was meeting some friends we had a lovely meal, um, and I'd come out, and I'd parked the Ferrari that I now had outside of Prime 112. Got in the car, tried to turn it on. It wouldn't start, and I was thinking, okay, this is not the best look that I'm going for. So I said, okay, to the girl, you go with them to, to the club. I'll meet you there later. So I'm in the car now. It's so humid as well in Miami at this time. I get in the car. I call up the developer, uh, not developer, sorry. I call up the, the, the dealer who I bought the car from. And he said to me, okay, you need to turn the ignition on 20 times and open the door 20 times to reset the system. And I was thinking, is this some kind of Ashton Kutcher kind of like punk <laughs> sketch, you know, yeah. like me turning the thing on, opening the door, and then he's just <laughs> going to jump in the passenger seat and be like, oh, we got you, we got you. So I discreetly opened the door and very discreetly was turning the car on and off, didn't work. And I said, it's not, it's not working, what should I do? He said, well, I'll send a tow truck, but it's gonna take an hour and a half to come to you. By this time, it was like one o'clock in the morning. People are coming out of the restaurant. I'm seeing people deep in the back of the restaurant, Regina, that I didn't even know existed in the kitchen, all coming out. Then it starts to rain. Tow truck still hasn't come. I'm getting frustrated. I'm in the car, I'm super hot. I can't even get out of the car because it's raining. At this point, everyone's left the restaurant. I'm the only one there outside. And I look at the, the yellow badge with the black horse on of the Ferrari, and I became so emotional. Something came over me that I was just like, I'd never experienced before. And I literally walked back into the kid who was 12, 13 years old, who was sitting in the car in Southampton, who just put the coins in. And I was thinking, how how am I sitting in this car that I now own? How can I ever be grateful for anything in life if I can't be grateful for what I have around me right now? And I just was in tears in the car by myself. And I just, it all, it was like I had that aha moment where it was like, oh, I get this. This is the never ending story if it keeps going about buying things and needing things and wanting things. That, that's the ego in full effect. But when I realized that not only did I have the car, 
but I was living in Miami. It would take two minutes to go around the corner. The car will get fixed some at some point. I lived in Miami. But then let's talk about the music and touching people's souls around the world and just everything that had gone on from that kid who was in Southampton. And I realized, Regina, at that point, that something shifted and it, something had changed. Well, you had to really own it. You created the whole thing from that desire as a kid behind mm. the fake wheel of the Ferrari and the arcade. You created the entire thing. You know, the whole notion of creation through desire. You know, uh, desire is much aligned, but it is those little moments of desire, those little fleeting feelings that we have later on. If you're lucky, you get to go as far as you did to manifest the whole enchilada and then live to be grateful for it, which is the beginning of real maturity. Yeah. You you know know what, Regina, the the thing I did realize was that it it's it was it's okay to have the the beautiful home and the sports car all those things are okay like I because at one point I was like trying to tell myself that those are the things that I shouldn't have anymore since I had that that epiphany that is don't have material things and and go deeper within and go but I realized that actually it's okay to have those things but just to realize that they're not going to give you the fulfillment and satisfaction right. and if you understand that then you can drive the car and enjoy it, but don't be defined by it or be defined by the home. And right. that, that for me was a, was a real awakening, you know? So let's talk about awakening a little bit further on down the road yet and where you are now in the last few years of you're doing research and so forth. What kind of, what kind of subjects have you been attracted to or practices have you, you've been attracted to that has helped you elevate to the place you are right now to what we're going to talk about in a moment, which right. is, a new song that's just come out and the reactions people are having to it. Um, well, you know what? It, it started not too long after the, the Ferrari outside of the, the restaurant moment and my little epiphany there to me, then stumbling across um, a book by Shak- from Shakti Degwain called living in the light, um, which is all about following your intuition. And I was, and I was, I just felt, I resonated so deeply with, with the book and it just felt like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm interested, but at the same time, again, it felt familiar. And it was, it was the intuition that as a kid growing up that I didn't know necessarily what intuition was, that I was now rediscovering again, but with some wisdom this time around, where it's like, oh, I understand that what I was doing when I was telling my friends that I'm staying indoors to finish these songs that was my intuition. That was my soul was saying, stay in and, and complete this. But now I'm actually having that moment again, but with the wisdom of actually, oh, it's called intuition. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. That's why it felt so familiar. Little Craig was starting to smile again. He's like, yes, that's what we're talking about right there. So I started to read that book. That book then led me on to reading Eckhart Tolle's uh, Power of Now. Um, I then started to find myself that I leant towards more audio books than I did reading books. I found like it kind of absorbed them a lot better, mm-hmm. which then more, more recently led me to a wonderful woman called Regina Meredith. <laughs> how did and, that happen by the way? <laughs> listen, I don't know how I stumbled across a guy on TV and I was like, and then I found the app, and then I found that I could put it on my Apple TV. So I was, I was watching various different subjects. But 
somehow I kept gravitating towards the interviews that you were doing. And I was watching you from speaking to Joe Dispenza, which I loved. Um, And I was was amazing that all of the interviews that you've done with him are fantastic to Jim self, which was kind of leaning into more of an angelic kind of realm. Mm -hmm. And then it was Belinda Womack, which which connected us for us to do this today. And I was, even Marianne Cooper, where when she said that the book that she connected with was Living in the Light, I was like, I was watching thinking, wow, this is this all makes sense. But it was the way in which you were allowing the people that you were interviewing to really, you were delving into places that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily delve into. You, you opened them up in ways that I felt that they were able to really express themselves. And I loved your, the way in which your technique of interviewing was. And I, I love that we finally met because genuinely the last two and a half years of watching your interviews has so realigned me so perfectly that I just get it now. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that we can finally speak like this because what you're doing and for, for people around the world and people watching is genuinely like raising the, the, the levels of awareness and love and positivity. It's just amazing. And I'm just like so grateful and thankful for you. Like it's, it's amazing. It really is. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm blushing a little bit. I, re- I really appreciate those words though. Um, because I do what I do for the same reasons you do. And I'm doing this on my new site because I'm, I'm looking to find that same kind of love in what I do again after kind of losing it for a little while. And now it's all back. So I totally understood what you were talking about earlier. Now the ability to speak to you and to be able to do whatever I wish, whenever I wish through this particular site is bringing all my joy back and connecting with people and connecting with their stories. So I'm so glad that I'm so glad it's meant that much to you. And I understand because we had a little email exchange that um, you have a new album coming out and all the things you've learned the last few years in terms of expanding awareness and consciousness are starting to impact your music and your writing now. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel that I'm, the, the little, and I keep using the little Craig because when I've spoken with Belinda Womack, who, again, watching the, her talk about the 12 archangels and the connection that you had when you were speaking, she just said that you just, you're just bright and you're magical and the sparkles around you. I could feel it while I was watching the interview. I was just like, this is incredible. And even when, when, you, when you said about some of the interviews that you were doing where a lot of people may want to find their awareness through maybe the, the, the darker forces that are coming through. And, and you were like, but I just wanted to find out, but it didn't feel right to you. And Belinda was like, you know, you know that actually just balance it with love because yeah. you, just res- you radiate love so much that I can feel it in this interview now. And I can <laughs> feel it in the interviews that you've done with all the people that you've, you've brought out. You've always brought it to a positive place, even if, you're dealing with something that could be of a darker nature. Yeah. Um, but I, I, just, I just found that going back to just making the music and simplifying things in life is what's put me in this place now. I, just, I, just, I know people met to my music. They went on ho- their first holiday to their music. They, they got married to my songs, conceived children to my music. And I'm thinking, this is what I feel I know what my life purpose is. 
at this point is to create music, uplift people with that music because it speaks more volumes than anything that's going on in the world. And there's a lot of things that can can drag you from from politics to wars to everything that's going on in, in and around us. If you just focus on that, that just kind of will take you to a place that you think that the whole world's coming down on you. But music just seems to have that quality of upliftment where it's a, it's a frequency, you feel it. Even, even if lyrically it's spoken in a different language, you can still tell if someone's resonating from, a, from the right place. Absolutely. Um, and you are. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. Yours is, it's so pure. What you do is so pure. And, uh, and actually, some of the songs I've been listening to couldn't help it. I just, I was doing initially, very beginning, I thought, well, let me research all these different pieces. And then I couldn't get them out of my head. And then yeah. I started listening to a song that's really uh, only been released, I think, in the last week or 10 days um, called I Know You. And yeah. I, I looked at the version that was on BBC, right? right. When playing with uh, Bastille. Yeah. And I couldn't get the song out of my head, but I have to tell you, when I first heard it, I, my being started tearing up. I just wow. felt it in all of me. I started tearing up because what I felt in that was an awakening because you were including everyone everyone is included in that song the audience was included in that song and it was a spirit that not just i know you but we know each other all of us are starting to recognize each other we're recognizing a higher truth and a kind of love and beauty in each other that we haven't been capable of before and to me this song totally exemplifies that what is your feeling on that I mean, you have to have some feeling when you're doing this. Oh, the way you, the way you just said it then is like, is, is, is so resonates with me. I mean, even the, the, the melody, even without the lyric, when I'd finished the melody with Dan and Fraser T. Smith and a girl called Carmen Reese who were in that session, there was something, and I don't say this for all my songs, but when something connects, there's a, there's a feeling that's just like, this feels special and it feels bigger than, than who's singing this song. It's a song that feels like if someone else had been singing it and I heard it, I would have the same feeling about it. That I'd just be like, ooh, it just feels right to me. And this was without the, without the lyric. Then when the lyric came, came about, we, we were like, we wanted it like inclusion. We wanted everyone to be part of this. And mm -hmm. also the fact that, I've realized that some of the best times that I have is when I'm with a friend or with friends and the environment falls away and you just feel this connection that you could be anywhere and you're having the best time ever. Um, and I feel that there are, my connection even with Dan from Bastille, even when we were singing, I know you to each other, it was almost like it's an, I know you, like I see you like a namaste. I, I, like I know you, not the Bastille that, you, and I think that for me is what's really special about this record because it almost feels like God saying to me, I know you. It just has so many sort of connotations of where the I know you is coming from. And, and it, the reaction I've seen already from people has been unbelievable. It's, it's been the feeling that I got from the song. And I remember when I was making the first album, when songs resonated with me, the, the, the environment mirrored 
the feeling I was having. So it was almost like that being when you're, when you're, I am this feeling and then it mirrors you back. So, and once you've learned that, it's kind of, you realize that it all starts here. It's like when you're not feeling something, the people aren't going to feel the same way. And if you're feeling something, it tends to be that everybody feels the same way as you do, you know? Mm -hmm. So are you starting to notice even from feedback with fans and friends and such that there is a kind of awakening going on, even though there are just, there's a disparity maybe in our levels of knowledge that there's something deeper that is awakening in mass. Yeah. A hundred percent. I see people that, that may not have gone. It's not even an intellectual thing. It doesn't matter if you've read all the same books or you've kind of got all this information. I can see people who are just making choices that seem that they're from a loving place it really only comes down to the basics of love and fear i mean mm -hmm. and sometimes even if you're we're all on the same journey but some people have been able to get that aha moment and be a little bit more aware of what's going on but it doesn't mean that the person down the road who hasn't read living in the light or has never seen one of your wonderful interviews does a makes a loving gesture because it just felt right and i feel that that's happening and I think that was almost what, what, what Jim Self was saying about the, the third dimension kind of falling away. And it's kind of like there's going to be a lot of disruption going on around us. And it's going to feel like what's going on. But just stick in there because this is actually you need that the clouds to have a silver, silver lining. Sorry. So I can feel it. I can feel like everything feels like it's getting very heavy and a lot of things are going on. But it's through me, my awareness that I can just bring these songs out and just be like, you know what? Don't get sucked into it. It's all going to work out perfectly. It really is. Well, it seems to be <clears throat> the work you're doing now is magnificent. I can't wait to hear your entire new album. And what I'd like to do, do you have any final thoughts? Because I want to leave everyone on the song, I Know You, and see if they get the chilly willies or the tears teared <laughs> up like I did. Do you know what? All I, all I want to say genuinely is thank you to you because, I, because what you're doing is, is incredible and you really don't, even though I've expressed it here, but you really don't know how much you have helped me over the last year and a half, two years since I discovered your, your interviews and, and just the way that you are and you're making a huge, huge impact. It's like you helping me is helping me go into the studio to make a song and go and perform it. So it's full circle. I know you is as much your creation as it is my creation because I needed to be in the right headspace to even be in the studio. So I thank you. You're, you're amazing. You're doing wonderful things. I don't even have words for that other than thank you so much. You're, you're just, like I said, you have this kind of angelic quality. And when Belinda told me about you, she said, wait till you feel his energy. And that's why your song sparkles, just like your smile oh. and everything else. So obviously, we, we're both uplifting each other. And I so appreciate your taking the time to do this. I know it's getting a little late on your time zone. But I'm hoping, I'm going to be in London in a few months, I'm hoping to share a cup of tea and some McVitie's with you. <laughs> oh, we're going to have McVitie's. I'll, I'll leave, we'll get some, some crumpets and some jam and I've got you. Don't worry. We are definitely, we connected for a reason, Regina. So we're definitely, we're definitely hang out when you're in London for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Craig. It's been absolutely delightful. You're wonderful. Thank you. Wow. So are you. You're amazing.